0: I'd like to formally introduce uh, Les and Chris. Uh, Les has worked in football coach development for over 40 years, uh, recently retiring up to lovely Smith Lakes on the northern New South Wales coast. Um, He's most recently worked for the FFA uh, at the community level as the FFA National Development Manager and many on the line would certainly know Les and his work. He was responsible for developing the coach component of the play for life strategy that was utilized in the active after Schools community program. Les has got extensive experience in sports coaching, more broadly and has been involved in the design and development of coaching programs with a wide range of national and state sporting organizations such as AFL, tennis, hockey and netball. Welcome Les to tonight's presentation. And co-presenter and leading the presentation will be Chris Adams, who is a coach developer and well-known to everybody Um, in New South Wales. He's been involved in coach development for 10 years, both in Australia and in England. Throughout his career, Chris has held roles with Chelsea Football Club Foundation as a Development Officer and with Football West, Manly Warringah Football Association and Football New South Wales. He's been heavily involved in both community coach development and advanced coach development as an instructor to be licensed level coaches. Uh, So, Welcome, guys, and uh, trust that you'll enjoy your presentation. Take it away, Chris.
1: Thank you, Glenn. Hello, everybody. Um, firstly, for those of you that have seen me present before, this is probably a unique experience where I'm sitting down. I'm used to roaming around the room, but it's certainly certainly interesting times for everybody. Uh, and, uh, and I think it seems to be that there's... Some light at the end of the tunnel for us in the football world, hopefully in the next coming weeks where we can start to get back to some form of normality. Um so just just before we start, just a bit of a um mood set up uh for the evening around yes, the theme is around the players' behaviour. Um and I think sometimes is is that do we as coaches actually look in the mirror first? Well, maybe the player behaviour tends to strengthen um or is it always the players' fault? Um, and, and around that is, and is what we're going to go through this evening is around: Are we putting as much time and effort into getting some positive outcomes in terms of the topic that we want to present to our players uh, as we are into how we actually manage the players' behaviour and actually understand how the players are going to react to some of the Features of the sessions that we are going to put on. So, do we actually get the mirror out? Or did I, as a coach, do everything in my power, be it in the design phase or in the conduct phase, uh, to actually prevent maybe some of that behavior from happening? Uh, or is it, easy, is it just the easy excuse that it is the player's fault? Uh, so, I'm going to hand over to Les for the next slide that's just going to run through some of the principles um, for this evening.
2: Okay, thanks, Chris, and thanks, Glenn, for uh, having me. Um, just, just a bit of a follow on to Chris is, the, is it always the player's fault? And I think the thing is that a close friend of mine would say the search for someone to blame is always successful. Is the, the question is uh, are we responsible for some of that blame? So um, we've looked at some of the, the principles that we want to uh, talk about or discuss is um and relationships for me are the the critical it's the critical area so connection before content it's not about the X's and O's. it's about how do we uh, support and how do we get the players to understand that we have to support and help them develop um, coaches very very rarely get sacked for their lack of football knowledge it's it's about losing the confidence of your players so the relationships become critical um the environment is something that provides an emotional connection, is we remember the things um, through the, uh, that emotional uh, contact that we have with uh, with anything, a place uh, that we remember fondly. Uh, that's what makes the uh, the, the memories, so it triggers the memories. Um, something else that I think in, in terms of uh, the principles that we're, we're looking at is that recognizing the play is the key to their own development it's not about a coach so sort of saying i'll make this player is the player has a significant role in this the, the most significant role in this so recognize that it's what they do away from the, the time we have with their training and games that probably makes the biggest differences um because we're all different Um, there isn't one size fits all so some of the things that we might discuss or might get raised tonight there's no definitive answer it's what's uh, relationships are built differently people are built differently so there isn't a a single answer and the last one of all is that the every experience is influenced by many factors so um, it's a, a combination of the environment it's a combination of the connection it's a combination of what the uh, what they come and what they want to get out of it so again is that um, uh, hopefully that sort of lays the foundation of where we're coming from um, about the, the basic principles of uh, of tonight's session
1: so on to phase one around the session design so again we want us to be thinking around that it, that it isn't just the x's and o's that we need to consider it's maybe how the players might react to those X's and O's. So the first consideration around your session design is around what do we actually consider when we're planning our training sessions? Is it that we're looking to consider that this is the topic that I wanna get out be it around striking the ball, be it around one versus ones, or be it, if it's in the older phases around maybe some of the tactical elements around maybe transitions, Etc., etc., or are we actually starting to consider well, how might the players react to that certain part for the practice? And then is it not only linked to the ability of the players, but how might they react? to the challenges that are set and then what might you need to consider around how you can, uh, from your experience as, as to how certain players react is, is that they might not be able to handle certain certain levels of the competition side of it that might trigger their behavior. So how do I look to manage that? Then looking in around is, is that is the practice actually designed For your players or are you just designing it to meet the topic what we experience a lot and I'm sure Les will be the same and I'm sure the listeners will be the same is is that when we see lots of training sessions put on yes they're fantastic training sessions and yes they might be towards the topic again around core skills or around the four moments of the game but is it actually for the needs of your players around the the age or stage as to where they are in terms of their own player development cycle Um, and then are you you actually starting to Consider that, and is this session suitable for the players that I've got in front of me, or is it just suitable for me to meet the topic as to what I want to try and get out? And that might not just be for the for the whole squad. If you're working at the community level, which I'm sure the majority of us are, and even in the MPL level, is is that you are going to have that wide array of um, skill sets and around how you maybe differentiate your practice to ensure that the needs of all of your players are being met. Then around one of the other elements around your session design Um, and we speak a lot about a player centered approach to coaching but but do we actually delve deep enough into what that means around the ownership of the players and what does that actually actually look to look like around who sets the rules for the game often it's the coach that maybe sets the rules so for example you have to make this amount of passes before you can move into the next zone you have to have played to this player prior to being able to progress into the next zone. And often the the rules might be coach-led rather than actually from the players. And then often that might lead to the the behaviour issues that the practice might be too hard or too easy because you're setting your conditions or your restrictions on the session um, and you're, you're just basing that on your own thoughts and beliefs, maybe what you've experienced previously with the players, but the players might be able to go one step higher or one step lower. And then around the player, ownership as well is around the um, – once you've understood the needs of the players, and again, linking back into how the players might react, is around certain players you might have to in your design phase, right? I might need to give them some form of role in this practice so so like it might be that they're the organizer of the team that 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 might then start to grab their attention so they actually feel a part of the session they own the restrictions and they understand the rules and regulations um, in that practice so around are we actually designing for ownership of players or is it just an afterthought when we're there so how can we actually engage the players in the design of the practice once once we're live at the training session um then looking in the next stage around are we planning for the what if and i think often in our training sessions we might have one or two contingencies in place but are we actually thinking really delving deep into what might happen so that you're then armed with a tool set of if this happens that a certain player reacts in this way or a certain group of players aren't as engaged in your practice that might then lead to the behavior issues do you have the contingencies in place or is it just the case of that we shout at the kids and hope hope for them to change so are we actually planning the considerations of well how might i change this um and and yes it might just be as simple as having to change the size of the area but, but are you actually thinking deeper uh, in terms of what contingencies you are going to have play potential change practice to keep the players more engaged and then uh, have a have some more positive behavior from there and then the final part of the session design for us as coaches to consider is is that around have we have you planned a arrival routine or activity which is going to delve a little bit deeper into into the next part is around when the players turn up have you maybe got got something there as a arrival routine or activity, be it a game, be it a um, something for them to do either on their own or in a group that's going to engage them in the pack, that's going to engage them in the practice straight away? Often when you're working in the junior space, or even if you're working at any level when it when it comes to the grassroots area is is that players just want to connect um, and talk to each other and often the first five to ten minutes of your practices is, is that you're trying to stop everybody from talking so can you maybe get that happening in the arrival routine and the arrival activities so the players are having that connection and be it if it's in the kids space and they're talking about their latest video game and the certain levels that they've got to or if it's in the older sort of areas, are they starting to catch up on sort of social plans around is, is that are you factoring that into the arrival routine so there's a meaningful practice for the players to connect with each other so that then once you start training, they've already got that out of their system?
2: I think virtually at, at all levels um, that it's useful to get the players to actually help build the activity. Whenever a session's not being gone, well for me is often the players are the ones that can if you actually say how do we make this game better they'll tell you they'll give you the right answer because they're the ones actually experience it so I'd encourage people to actually not be frightened to ask the players um, what they what they uh, think could make the game better. Liz. so we'll
1: jump on around session design if there's if there's any questions or experiences from from the floor to
0: ask feel free. Uh, Gary Cole, could you just come off um, mute there, mate, and ask your first question? First question, Glenn. You you implying I've got a list? <laughs> <laughs> no, the first question of the
3: evening. <laughs> G'day, Les. G'day, Chris. Thanks for coming on. R- really, really appreciate it. Um, just just pondered the um, the whole session design slide, which is fantastic. I wonder how you go with young younger coaches or newer coaches taking that philosophy to session design as opposed to what appears to be a very linear curriculum, skill acquisition. So there's some very specific things that you should be able to get through over periods of time. How do you help coaches transition from being new and needing a curriculum to follow across being able to take the session design plan and look at what you, your players, your team need and apply that to tonight's session?
1: Mm. A, I certainly think that's a f- f- fantastic question and for me the the key is that when it's first time coaches be it either like a younger coach or even if you look at real community space the the sort of the last dad or mum to stand back which is often the case is, is that I think we actually need to get the word coach out of the system because I think as soon as people hear the word coach they instantly think that they need to teach they need to provide advice and sort of technical advice to the players rather than actually just all, just just being more of an organizer and actually facilitating practices so for me the any advice for any first-time coaches be it young or be it the um, dad or mum to be the last ones to stand back is actually don't don't identify yourself as a coach just just be it as the football facilitator or the <laughs> organizer of those practices and then um then actually think well what is it the players want from the sessions um and and um and if they can to sort of steal a line from les is that if the kids were left to their own devices what would they do um and then like they would often play a game of some sort so so can we organize practices that one are very easy and simple for the coaches to set up so for me it's around um in that when we're supporting, developing or mentoring first-time coaches is, is that we, um, we almost provide them with a checklist around very simple things that are more coaching behaviours around did you get the, your practice started quickly and inside one minutes or two minutes because that's going to link to the behaviour of your players as well is, is that if it takes you five minutes to get your practice started and you've got a group of under eights or under nines or even under 15s, they're going to get bored and then as soon as players get bored, then they do start to misbehave. So simple coaching behaviours around, can we get it started quickly? So then in that, they then need to be able to communicate well with words, but also with a good... um, good sort of demo but then also as well the the practices or games that we give to those first time coaches can we give them um, some fun names that maybe resonate with the kids be it say like a danger zone or um through the river so that so that almost the coach or the football facilitator just has to say right tonight kids we're going to play danger zone and straight away the kids might resonate with that, and 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 then you don't have to spend two minutes explaining it because because the kids have got that connection to the practice from from when they've done it before. So so for me, it's that we need to maybe take the word coach away um, in in that first stage, uh, and then actually provide them with some more um, organisational skills rather than coaching skills.
0: Okay.
2: Uh... Gary, good to see you. Um, the, I guess I guess the thing is that I look at it. I think that over time, and this is from somebody who spent a fair few years sort of working with coaches and and uh, uh, supposedly coach development, is that uh, I tend to think it's like the players is the coaches that want to get better will get better. Um, but I actually think we overcoach and underplay. We spend way too much time coaching and enough time playing. Um, I think you learn a lot from playing, uh, particularly in mixed age groups. So my advice to sort of planning the session will be similar to Chris: is to say, come up with activities that are games that essentially are things that resonate with the players, um, particularly as you're, as you're starting out. Um, I think the other thing is that um, you're never sure what the players are gonna learn in the session. You might actually have a plan yourself is, but they can learn so many things that you haven't planned for. They might actually be learning how to deal with a grumpy coach. Is they might be learning how to use the rules to their advantage. Is that and they might not be planned. So I think the thing is that they're not empty vessels, the players uh, at all levels, but particularly those those young ones that they, if you like, the ones that you're talking about, will be using. Is ask them. Is that. Um, And uh, utilize, as Chris said, utilize the games that they're they're familiar with, uh, that they would play on their own. Uh, I I go back to echoing Chris's, if you left them to their own devices, what would they do? And, And that for me is a good rule of thumb for players.
1: I think just to add to that as well, sorry, sorry, Lester, us jump in again, is around sometimes um, first time coaches think that you have to have a massive library of games or practices when well, you might only need three or four. And, it, and it's almost a question of ask the kids what games they want to play uh, and then you then just have to set those up. I think sometimes. There's there's external pressures on first time coaches, be it, be it parents that have obviously paid registration fees, or or you suddenly feel the pressure that you've that you've gone from being just just say one of the parents to now being the last one to stand back and suddenly the spotlight's on you. So so you so you feel as if you need to um, and, and, and I certainly experienced that when I first started coaching when I was 15, 16, that you feel as if you need to do a completely different session or game or topic every week. But you, but you might now have just three or four very good games and sessions you then just run those and you and you can get those started really quickly and you just add and change sort of different rules or regulations or restrictions to make it harder or or easier for the players
0: keep going gary
3: (laughs) (laughs) uh, second question okay well again again to both of you firstly thanks for that that's that's terrific advice and probably most people on this are community coaches but if the, I guess when the football gets a little bit more serious or, or God forbid you become a, an NPL coach, how do you then satisfy the game being the teacher, keeping it as simple as possible, letting the kids play more often with parents that have invested 2200 bucks for their kid for the year with a high expectation that you're going to be this wonderful coach and achieve these wonderful outcomes for their kid?
1: you want to go first on this one, Liz? <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, thanks very <laughs> much.
3: <laughs> Good hand pass, <to> Chris.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think the thing is that the parents need to be informed of why you're taking that, uh, that approach. I, I think the, uh, it's easy for a coach to stand and, and organise a practice, like let's say a shooting practice, and have people in lines running in, whacking the ball at the goal. It's going 200 miles an hour, 50 feet over the bar. And the coach yells at them and is yelling instructions. The players know it's gone over the bar. The players know that it's not hit the target. Um, But the parents are often the ones, yeah, that's right. That's That's what we expect. Whereas the game is actually organized chaos. And I think parents have to understand that it's organized chaos. And there's a little bit of organization. And that people need to make decisions on the run. It's not merely about... If you like the technical side of the game it's the skill side of the game the decision making that needs to be developed and the decision making is um the game is a game of opinion so the decision making could be actually that's right in my opinion and wrong in somebody else's opinion so i think the the approach i would take would be to spend some time informing the parents why we're going down this path why we need to be looking at this and you can you can actually set some some simple um, uh, observations if you like to say this is what we're looking for in the players these are the cues these are the 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 habits that we want to develop Um, and once the parents understand that then I think it's easier for them to to look at that style of coaching Um, and I, I think the other thing is that what is it that the players want if you ask the players, what, what is it that you want to be able to do? Then you can start to individualize what it is. If it's the, if it's, and that's a discussion, a conversation that you have with a player at any level. What is it that you want to develop? Does that fit with, with the, the stage of your development? Um, I, I often uh, agonize. There's a, you can have a great debate about um, whether you uh, focus on a player's weakness or you, you build their strength. Um, I tend to think that you build on their strengths because your strengths come from the things that you enjoy doing. And if you enjoy doing them, you'll do them more. The time that I would have the conversation would be around when that weakness might prevent them getting to the level that they want to play at. And therefore, the conversation now becomes around, well, what can we do to build that weakness to a level that allows you to play at the level you want to play at? I don't know if that makes sense, but I think that it's it's about working with the player and the parents.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I certainly concur with that, Liz. I, I think for me, there's a, a line missing in there, Gary, around that the game's the best teacher. For, for me, the game's the best teacher if we design it properly. Uh, there still needs to be a lot of thought and effort from, from any coaches that go down a process where we are going to maybe use the teaching games for understanding Um, system to our coaching that it that often where parents um maybe get a little bit offside is when they might just see the kids playing a game but they don't uh, don't understand the the time and effort that has maybe gone into the design as to how you're going to restrict things to get certain outcomes that you want how you might reward or incentivize certain outcomes that you want so so for me i think um us as coaches need to delve a little bit deeper into how we design our games to get the outcomes that we want. Um, and for me, as well, it's around the um, us as coaches. Um, we need to sell the message to our players uh, as as to how we want to play. But then we ultimately need to be be good salesmen and saleswomen for the for the messages as to how we want to coach. And then just as I've said by Les, um, we need to engage the parents in that. I think sometimes we we exclude the parents and ultimately parents just want what's best for their child. Um, and then when we include them in that process, um, I think sometimes, not all the time, you, you might suddenly see it change in that, that you've included them and go, this is why we're doing it. These are the benefits and you have to sell that message to them. Just the same as if you're the head coach um, of a club, you have to sell the messages to the fans and the spectators. It's no different to parents.
0: Thanks, uh, thanks Chris. A, Chris a question uh, from Michael Zayo. Thank you, Michael. Just uh, on how to get the most out of you at the time that you have with your young players. Uh, how to pump up players to save as much time as they can during the session. Uh, like water breaks, warm-ups, picking up balls to restart, so you can get 100% out of the time that you've got with them.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's the consideration in itself when it comes to your session design, is around how does your practice flow? Often we see practices that are designed and it's part A of your practice and then part B is completely different and then part C is completely different. So are you actually designing your practices that can maybe go... From inside to outside. So you can have your first activity uh, in one area, and then you might just have to lift up one or two cones, and then that flows straight into your second activity. And then the third activity flows into the next one. So, can you actually run practices that are inside the same area, but it might just be maybe changing one or two cones? And that's a challenge for community coaches because even for MPL coaches, um, we still often only get the postage stamp. So, how can we ensure that the hour or the hour and a half that we get is spot on that it's that it's the players are switched on the whole time and that comes into a, when we're designing our sessions do we actually think what well, how does part a flow into part b and how does part b flow into part c um often we don't see that and it's right um kids just go and get a drink and i'll take five minutes to set up the next activity and then the kids are off task so so it's around as well um can you keep the, the players on task as well throughout the drinks breaks? Um, and that might be um, probably a little bit different when it comes to the COVID-19 situation, because you can't have the kids interacting too close, but it could be in say like groups of three or four or in pairs. Can you maybe talk about if we've just done turning, for example, where, um, how does Cristiano Ronaldo turn or what the certain things do the best players do once they've turned. So, so keep them on task throughout the drinks break, or it could be a way of that whilst, um, whilst we're just on the drinks break, you have to see how many times you can juggle the ball or how many times can you spell your name with the ball? So are we, are we putting elements and effort into our design to go, or well, how do we maximize the whole time? So the kids are on task for the whole time. So we're not setting up four different practices four times. But also, um, are we keeping the kids on task with some meaningful things to do throughout the drinks breaks?
2: I agreed, Chris. I think the the other thing is that um, if you're going to adapt it, if you want to get them back, what is it that that switches them on? What are the the games and activities that are that they enjoy? Is that I think sometimes we can actually, as coaches, we we want to move on uh, because we think we've done that we did that last week, we did that the week before, is that if it's something that that captures their imagination and they're prepared to, to work at, then I'd keep giving them again. Is that um, uh, And it can be adapted. And, and what I would encourage coaches to do is don't come in with a planned modification or adaptation, is look at the players and their, their response and respond to that to see if it's necessary to change it or as I said before is ask them what would make this game better so uh, I'd encourage you that that might get them I'd try it and say all right then what what do you want to do what's how can we make this game better and get back into the game again Um, and I think the other thing is there was a a, another uh, saying is it's stop the practice before it ends which means that Knock something on the head before the sort of motivation falls away completely. Um, Nip it in the bud so that still, they're left wanting a little bit more of that practice. Um, So they're keen to get back at it again, uh, whatever that situation is.
0: Uh, Trevor Morgan, could you just come off mute just with your other suggestion in that area?
4: Evening, everybody. Um, Lynn, I'm trying to sort out my muting system here, so make sure I get it right. Um, yeah, I just had a suggestion regarding that. Something that I've employed a bit with, with my teams is um, two options. One, you make three teams and therefore the two teams keep playing and the third team are having a drink break is a team I coach. So there might be a five-minute or six-minute turnaround and in that time they have a drink and you talk to them a little bit about some of the choices that the, the players on the pitch are making and make some suggestions about what they might do and then they, they go back on. And the other option is obviously if you have your, your 15 or 16 players, you might decide to do... Six aside or um, seven aside and, and the sub that rotates off, that's their drink break. That's their time to get some coaching. They're back in the game. So just just simple little things like that. Nothing, nothing special. I think where Chris and Le- Les are heading is, is, is all about common sense management to keep, keep the kids busy and enjoying themselves. And, and that, that's just another suggestion to go with it.
0: Thanks, Trevor. A uh, question from Alex on Facebook. Welcome, Alex. Uh, have we looked at the benefits of getting kids to start in futsal and then move into football like the South American model? Chris: Les, do you want to go with that one? I know you've got some experience
1: there.
2: <laughs> well, I think that uh, I mean I, I think that uh, anything that gets the kids kicking a ball is a positive. Is, I think that uh, uh, it's seen as a, a different version of the game. I think there are carryovers is that I don't think that the, I think the kids in particular know the benefits. Um, and enjoy uh, playing so if it was up to me I'd be I'd encourage people that are working with uh, mini roos every now and again to throw a futsal ball in outside on the grass and and just let them play because I think again playing with different um, different bits of equipment uh, uh, helps the kids adapt they become uh, more adaptable in and responsive to changes in the environment uh, I'd also encourage them playing with a, maybe a little volleyball or something like that. It's a, a bit lively. The same practices, just use a different ball. So I, I'd certainly encourage uh, 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 some involvement in futsal.
0: And, and last question uh, from Sarah on Facebook. What's your advice for building intensity into a training session without opposition?
1: I think... Um... Around that is, is for me is, is that we can't have the opposition um per se. So we we can't have the tackling and the contact um going into the COVID-19 sort of training sessions, but can we still look to overload the brain? Uh so can we maybe have practices that have elements of interference in there? So yes, we can't have the tackling, but but you could still have a say like a through the river practice where you need to pass the ball from one zone into the other, but then you could still have the players in the centre that aren't aren't going in to tackle the players, but they're there to maybe block passing lanes. So we're still looking to overload the brain, whereby the players have to receive the ball and then make a decision as to what's going on in front of them and then execute the skill. Um, so, so for me, it's is how do we Overload the brain as much as possible to replicate what happens in a game where where we don't have tackling So for me the interference is
0: is um, really really crucial Okay, so Chris, I think we can uh, transition into building meaningful connection. Yep. so uh, Les I will hand over to you Okay, all right. Thanks Chris um, I guess the thing is what
2: what do we think about when we're trying to uh, build those connections? Um as I mentioned previously, is that they, um, we, we remember things predominantly through emotions. So how do we use this to build that positive connection? What are the, uh, the positive things that we want them to remember about how they feel? Not what they did, but how they felt. Um, Chris mentioned earlier about an arrival routine, that initial co- uh, connection. Uh, and I think that, uh, We have to remember the, if you like, the current sort of social distancing and uh, uh, regulations that are in place. Um, So, what can we do that still encourages that connection when they when they roll up? Um, Players tend not to want to roll up all at the same time; they come in dribs and drabs. So, what are you going to do with that? How do you? And that might be a great time to build that that connection with them, that individual connection. I think the other thing that an arrival routine actually does, it allows you to sort of watch the players, their body language, their interaction with other players. Um, and obviously, you do that throughout the session. But at the beginning of the session, it might give you a, a, an indication as to um, who's feeling bubbly, who's a little bit different today, who's quieter than they normally are. Do they need some specific attention? Do you need to ask them what's what's happening and how they're going? Is, is it something at school? Um, is it something at work? Um, just uh, again, as a coach, you have to be observant as to uh, uh, to how the players are responding to the environment they come into. Um, I think the other thing is that that observation of players while they're in an activity. Um, how are they? Re- how do they respond to that? Um, what have their previous responses been like in terms of uh, uh, if they've uh, had positive feedback, if they've had um, some corrective feedback, if they've been challenged in a particular way, what's their normal response? And therefore that might mean that you need to look at, well, you have to look at the players as individuals, um, taking that into consideration. Who responds well to a challenge and who doesn't? Um, the Getting... To know them from a personal perspective, uh, taking time to make that connection, um, and it may mean that you can't, well, you can't do that with every player in the squad every session. So it may mean sectioning uh, yourself to say, all right, I'll look after two or three players this week. And I'll find out a little bit about them, and then the following week I might do some others." But you must then remember that if you've made that that connection. Um, that if they've mentioned something, it, it needs a follow-up. It's no good just saying, oh, I, I know that they've, they've felt badly or they were uh, studying for exams, et cetera, and then forgetting all about it. Next time you see them, you need to make that connection and, and utilize the information that you were given so that they feel as if you actually care about their development. So I think uh, remembering what their situation was in your last conversation and, and following up in the next one. Um, and I think that it's all about that sort of um, just caring about them in a different way, away from football. Um, What are they doing? What's their life like? Uh, What do they enjoy doing? Do they do anything else? So just get to know them um, and encourage them to get to know one another as well. So essentially there's more, probably more questions than answers uh, that we need to consider about how we're going to do it because we're all different. We all, and they're all different. So what is it that we do to build that connection and show them that we actually care?
1: So and then sorry, just to add in, Les, around that, the once we've observed the players and and if we look at say like the training cycle of plan, prepare, conduct and then evaluating, do we actually just evaluate the session again for the X's and O's or or, or is it you or, or is it the observations of the players as to as to how they reacted and do we actually take a note of that and actually keep that so that when we're designing our next session is, is that from the, from the previous experience you've had, or, or is it that just after each session, it's a brand new session. And then just around the, when, when you have the connection, are you just connecting for the sake of it and asking how their day was at school or or say like how their day was at work? um, Or are you actually doing it for the purpose and to actually sort of um, build that connection and then keep that in your toolbox that you um, sort of know how they react or, or is it just to ask the question for the sake of asking the question?
2: Yeah. Yeah. As I say, is that that old saying is that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Is that, what are you, what are you trying to do and build that relationship uh, with whoever?
0: Um, Chris or Les, just in regards to building that connection and the connection that you make with uh, with the parents of the players, <clears throat> at the start of a start of each season, do you do you, would you do you have a meeting with um, players and parents to marry up um, expectations of coaches, players, and parents of what what the season's going to look like?
2: I I think that uh, I think that that's and it, this is going to depend upon the the, the level and uh, the the age of the the people that you you're working with. Um, but I would say if you're dealing with parents you you must have that meeting uh, to outline what it is it, it, and I, I would argue that the club almost needs to have if you like some guidelines for the coaches and they can clearly articulate how things are going to work at this club and that builds into the culture of the club what are you you know what's this club about what's what is it uh, what Guidelines that they have in place for, for the players. Are they all going to play a bit of every game? Is it uh, purely selection on performance? Um, parents need to know that uh, before you start. And it should preempt any problems that you're going to have with their parents uh, complaining halfway through a season. So I think that's, that's critical to be able to outline what your approach is going to be.
1: Absolutely. And, and then for me as well, it's that we need to build those meaningful connections with our players to know and understand our players so that we can have that relationship so that you can potentially provide feedback to the players and, um, and then you can manage the behavior of the players. But ultimately, again, do we do that with the parents or, or is it just an us and them and we completely exclude the parents from the whole process and um, they aren't involved at all in the development of their, of their child and and again if we go back to the first part that parents just want what's best for their own child um and and around do us as coaches actually look to build a to actually build a meaningful connection and
3: um
1: relationship with all of the parents to to then actually put us into the position where we can maybe provide that feedback if parents are maybe acting outside of those guidelines as well is it so so for me it comes down to it's uh, it's it's always a relationship and connection process for us as coaches is it and and that extends through to the parents as well is do we actually spend some time to to find out about parents um, and then um that they might be reacting in certain ways because of their experiences, uh, or because of the because of the certain stress things that they may have as well. So, do we spend some proper, purposeful time with our parents, actually getting to know them as well?
2: Well, they become part of your your culture. What? They they actually influence, have some influence on on the players themselves. Um, so, yeah, they, they need to be involved in it rather than excluded from it.
0: From uh, Bron on Facebook, welcome Bron. Uh, what can you build into your session when there is a gap in the, a skill gap in your squad, e.g., and also when players are recovering from injuries or there is a limitations uh, in the skill or and or fitness uh, of the players?
1: I think that, again that that then goes down to in your in your planning around is is that have you prepared for that so that. If it's, say, players that are coming back from injury, have you planned and prepared for that, that, that you know that that's going to happen? So that, so that then you've done done your work in the back end, that when you turn up, you know that Sarah or Tim or whoever's turning up to your training session, right, I know that it's their first training session back, I've spoken to the physio team or I've spoken to the mum and dad if it's at a community level, and I understand what what they can and can't do and then you factor that into the training session so for me it comes down to the to, to the preparation phase when it comes to the comes to the injury side as well but then that then links into the relationship that you have with the players often maybe players that are coming back from injury or are suddenly recovering from an injury they if they don't have a meaningful relationship with a coach and they don't trust the coach they might not say how they're actually feeling, um, and that might be to to the detriment that that they might push themselves too hard too quickly because they want to get back into the team because they don't don't feel as if they've got a good connection with the coach and the coach is just going to discard them. So I think if you've built a good enough relationship with the players, they'll be honest and talk to you and say, look, you know, I'm not feeling at the certain levels that I can, or I'm pushing too hard, and then they'll be fully. Um, honest review um when it comes to the to to the different levels again that's that's something that you as a coach should know through your observations and again have you have your plan for that and that may be that for example if you're doing say two two small um two small games or or say like a passing practice or a, or a Um, positioning game have you um, planned who's going to be in which grid and who's going to be in which area or is it just a case of right can can you you and you go orange and then can you you and you go yellow and then suddenly you've then got you've got uh, say some players that are at the higher skill set competing against the team that's of a completely different skill set so are you planning it that when you go into your certain components of your practice you are going to actually be very selective and go right. Can I get Chris, Bron, and Sam on this team, and then can I get Tim, Harry, and uh, Tim, Harry, and whoever on the other team? So, so for me, it comes down to again that that planning stage.
2: I think I think the thing is, I've never seen a squad where all the players are all the same level of ability, anyway. So I think that that's a a, a general fact of squads is that you'll have to challenge, as a coach, you have to challenge different players in different ways. Um, so I would I would suggest that you do that. You individualize some of the challenges in the game. So it may be that in, in this session, in this training session, uh, as an individual, what are your targets on, how many accurate passes you can make? Um, and each each player might have a different target. And all you've got to ask is not who got the most, but did you achieve... Or beat your your target, and then uh, individuals can focus on their own their own development. I think it's important to work with players on that and to work out what it is that they want to develop and how they might set some targets for themselves
0: just just a question from uh, from me, Chris and Liz just uh, these days uh, young players in a lot of sports. Uh, can get overloaded with the amount of training they 're doing if' they're, if they 're at school and playing in school teams uh, with a club team and then also potentially initially with a with a talent pathway squad uh, what role do you have as a club coach in in managing that that potential overload but wanting to main maintain connection with uh, the players who are progressing you know, in talented squads
1: memes down to clear communication between all of the organizations and and yes it's a challenge when it when it does come to football uh here is 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 that you might have a player that's playing at an npl club playing at a school club going to a private academy um and and doing and and then they're in say like a tsp for example i think for me the first step is is that there needs to be clear communication between all of those organizations and and I think to some extent it does happen, but it, but it doesn't happen well enough uh, that, that um, there's that clear communication between the organizations, but, but then also clear communication between parents and players going into clubs. I've, I've had experiences is that is, is that I've had um, players turn up for a game at three o'clock um, you can see when they're playing that that they're tired, they're fatigued, um, and then afterwards you find out that the that, 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 that they've either just played for the school or 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 they've just been involved in say like a cross country for the school. So so then it comes. So then it, is that because? You don't have a good enough relationship with the players or the parents because maybe the parents have been excluded and they're fearful that they don't want to tell the club that they're um, that they're involved in a school game because uh, because then the club the club might actually make the players choose or or the parents fear that the club might hold it um, hold it against the player um, and then like they might not get selected so so for me again it comes down to that relationship and connection that parents feel and players feel as if they can trust and they can communicate clearly um, but then also as well I think clubs and everybody has to understand that nobody owns a football player um, and then that and we often see it that clubs might not want their players to go to a TSP program or go to um, certain other programs because they want to hold on to them because they're then going to get stolen so it's to do do the clubs actually have the best interests of the player um, and if that's that say they're going from an NPL club and they're going to train with a Howe Academy or they're going to go into a TSP program that's actually probably in the best interests for that player um, it might not be in the best interest of the club in the short term but in the best interest for the players in the long term it's certainly going to aid their development uh,
2: I, I agree with the, the the critical factor is the connection you should be able to talk to the player and the parent about what they're doing and know what they're doing is, uh, but I might be a bit controversial and say, look, uh, as long as it's not impacting uh, on their uh, physical and and sort of psychological and love for the game, then I'd go keep, keep doing it. Then, then your observation of how they're responding at the sessions uh, uh, over a, you know, a few sessions, if they, if they're not keen to go to training or they're, not keen to get involved as engaged as they used to be, then you need to have those questions, ask those questions, and say, well, what is it that you're doing? Uh, are you doing too much, etc. But um, as long as the, for me, as long as the players responding positively to all of the all of the sessions that they're involved in, and they're playing and they're enjoying it, then I, I just say keep doing it.
0: Thanks, guys. Uh, you're running beautifully on time. Half an hour for each session so far. So if we can train, transition into To developing the right environment.
1: Uh, Take it away, Chris. No worries. Thanks. Thanks, Glenn. Um, So the final stage for tonight is is that once we've designed designed the practice and we've considered the the behavioral um, effects for the for for the players, um, we've then built that connection. And then it's from that connection can we then develop the right environment for the players. So the first step is is around well what does the right environment actually look and feel like and that's going to be dependent on again the age and stage of the players but but then also the the actual needs of the players around well what um what what are their expectations from it if it, if it's a grassroots community club and the kids just want to Turn up and play, have a connection with their mates, um, and and just have fun. Then that environment's going to look completely different to maybe players that have transitioned into an NPL club um, that have that have now got ambitions and dreams to maybe go on and wear the green and gold. Um, so, so so it's around where I think a lot of coaches stumble is, is that they have um, the the wrong environment for for the players um, because because it's a different expectation level to what the players want so that looks in for me into well who impacts on the environment and who and Who's involved in setting the right environment for the players? Um, And for me, the players have to be fully engaged in that process. And again, so that builds into the connection that was spoken before by Liz around is is that um, do you actually understand the needs of the players and also the parents as to their expectations? Because that's going to that's then going to set the environment for them. Um, And then um, often we see a lot of junior coaches trying to create an environment that's it's like an EPL club or it's like an A-League club and it's completely the wrong setup or environment for those players, depending on the individual needs as to what they want. Um, for me, one area that we need to get a lot better at in terms of coaches um, is you, when we look to create an environment when the session's happening is, is that we need to catch players in rather than always catching players out. Um, and for me, that, that means that we often, you, um, it's, it's very easy from our observations to pull players up when they may be misbehaving uh, and and they aren't doing the desired behaviors that we want or the or, or the desired football actions that we want um, and often kids and players maybe misbehave or or stray into that sort of negative behavior um, uh, um ways um is 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 because they want the adult's attention and they want the coach's attention they want the spotlight on them that the practice stops and then that that then player then and gets the attention of the coach so it's around well if the if the players want your attention and the and the kids want your attention or or that one kid or two or three kids want your attention is is that it's a case of well if you want my attention you now need to start doing the right things and we catch the players in Doing the right behaviours and the right things, and we praise that, um, so that then they know that if the, the if you want my attention tonight, this is how you need to behave. So that that then links into around the role modelling that we do, um, and often we talk about. Um, when we role model and then we maybe pick a player out and it's a case of, right, Sarah, can you just show me that turn that you did? Or everybody just watch um, Sarah, who's like going to play this pass for us. We focus just on the football actions when we highlight the role models. But do we actually highlight the role models of the positive behaviour that's happened? So a goal's just been scored, um, the team's a little bit flat, has that player um, encouraged... All of the other players to keep going and keep keep being being highly positive um, has at the end of the game even 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 though you just lost three nil um, has that player approached the opposition uh, and and, and been a good sportsman or sportswoman in the training session when um, when the team's just lost or um, or if the balls are being handed in they're then they're then doing that sort of in a um, in a polite way are we actually highlighting. And role modeling positive behavior that we want or are we just focusing on the football action so so for me the environment comes down to is is that have you understood the needs of the players to then set the environment or, and, and, and are the players involved in that environment setting um, and then really really important for us is us as coaches try and, try and catch them in and give them praise for the right behaviour than always trying to catch them out because uh, I think sometimes we always focus on catching them out and that goes down to our coaching as well is that often when we shout stop stand still uh, it's when the players have done something wrong rather than when the players have done something right so uh any any questions on environment or Liz? anything to chime in on top of that list
2: i think the, the the thing that you mentioned there is you know uh, you say stop and steal and it's something negative is that um if if you believe that um the coach's job is error detection and correction oh. then you will look for errors now, that's not, so don't get me wrong here, is that, but if you look for errors, you're probably going to see errors. Um, I think that your approach that you mentioned about trying to catch players in and there's the role models, that's what we're looking for. Um, because if you look for errors and that's all you pull out is then virtually every contact you have with a player has a negative basis. So I think it's important to look for the, for the positives rather than the negatives. I think the other thing is that uh, in terms of an environment is that there's physical, so that, you know, what's the equipment like, what's the ground like, et cetera. Uh, there's a social environment. Do we provide the opportunity for players to connect as well as the coach to connect with players? And if you like that psychological and emotional, is it, is it a safe environment where players feel that they can experiment, try things uh, without fear of retribution, if you like, for getting something wrong or or mucking up, is that are they allowed to experiment? Are they encouraged to experiment? So I think that sort of environment is is critical. And one of the other one of the questions I'll I'll pose is that what does your environment feel like uh, for a new arrival? When it, when somebody that's new, a new parent, a new player, what's that environment feel like? Are they welcomed? Are they, uh, do they feel engaged with that environment? Um, might be something just to reflect on.
0: Thanks, guys. Uh, question from Facebook, Mayor Rosen. Welcome, Mayor. Uh, what are the main tactical behaviours you look for from your players? Do
1: yes, you want to jump in? I'll, I'll,
2: I'll have a go at that, if you like, to begin with. <laughs> i think the thing is that it's i see the game it's what's their intention in other words what's the player's intention that's what i'd be looking for in terms of um if you like a developing player is that whether it comes off or not i'll I'll, I'll probably not focus too heavily on that but what was their intention was their intention that that a positive uh, uh towards the game um I don't know if that answers the question, but that's what I'd be looking at, is what's their attitude and their intention in terms of what you're, what you're looking for uh, from players within the game?
1: Yeah, For me, I think if, if we're looking at a real community level, it's, it's around what are the tactical behaviours that we want. It's linking in is around the games about stopping goals and scoring goals. So, so how do the players react to do that? And, and, and are they um, very, very committed to stopping goals and are they very, very committed to to scoring goals or do they maybe flicker somewhere in between? Um, So so for me, it's around what's the desire and the attitude to stop and score goals.
0: Uh, And from our our colleague, James Boyle, welcome James, who's got a young bloke playing over in in England. Uh, What do you define as an overload of training when players up to under 16 are training five days a week in Europe? It equates to around eighty sessions more a year
1: i'll I'll go there James how are you um do hope you're well um the uh for me I think the yes spot on we aren't playing enough football here and actual games as uh, as our counterparts over in Europe or in other areas I, I think that's a that's a real thing that all of us know so for me it's not the overload um of of the games, it's 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 more again that communication. And for me, the overload is is that I would describe the overload of uh, it's it's that player that's played a game at half past nine for his school, and then they're rushing down to their next ground to play their next game at half past twelve. So then they played two two um, games in very very quick succession. So for me, that's the overload that we don't want. Uh, that, that that players are playing um, two games in very very Fast succession on the same day, or 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 they've got outside sports commitments that are, that, are, that are all sort of crammed into one. Um, but but I do think there is a culture here. Is, is that um, uh, and I've even seen it when it comes to under nines and under tens. It, is is that it's uh, we spend too much time having to recover from games, and it's the case of right there was a game on the on the Saturday for the under nines, and then the session on the Monday is now a recovery session, and it's and it's then that's that's uh, a little bit too extreme. But but for me, the overload that we want to try and avoid is, is, is where it's the... Um, and, and I've seen it, and I'm sure James has seen it in his experiences in, in the MPL that kids are playing a game at 9 o'clock and then they're rushing to play a second game at half past 11, 12 o'clock.
2: I tend to think that um, d- depending on where you're at, the environment plays a big role in that, environment and culture. If the environment is structured so that uh, the appropriate recovery and monitoring uh, is in place, then uh, you know I, I don't see any issues, uh, any issues with that. But as I said before, you just need to monitor um, the the player's response to their various activities. Is that you, you will see a drop when they're starting to uh, get into that sort of overload space. There'll be evidence that that's 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 happening. Um, in terms of what Chris said about the, the younger ones, is that uh, uh, my, ex- my experience with uh, nine-year-olds is that uh, if they play a game early, as in the afternoon, they'll probably want to play another game, but it's informal, and they're happy to do that. So I just wonder what it is that, that we do to them that makes them feel absolutely exhausted when um, – uh, Nine and ten-year-olds usually have more energy than you can actually uh, uh, use. So um, I, I'd say it should be more under their control. Is that when kids get tired, they usually just go, oh, "I'm a bit tired. I'll slow down a bit, and then I'll kick up again." So uh, when I've got my breath back. So it just depends on on the age and the and their uh, uh, their interest in the in the games that they're involved with, and whether it's informal or or structured. I'd be interested to see whether it's uh, uh, how much overload there is in structured and how much overload there might be in informal play.
0: Uh, Les, uh, question from me. Uh, you, when you were involved with the FFA, you were a, a big driver of club coach coordinators. So in pulling together the key areas you've been discussing tonight, how important are triple C's in regards to uh, making a fantastic experience for all the stakeholders, parents, coaches, and players.
2: I think the, yeah, uh, uh, is that Dorothy Dix again, is it? Is it? <laughs> no, I think-
0: I'm just curious <laughs> myself because I think they're a very important person. At well, club I, think, club.
2: Look, I agree. I think the thing is that the CCC program helps build, for me, a positive club culture because then the messages, the, the guidelines that are in place at the club, the culture that the, the club wants to uh, develop is reinforced on a regular basis. Um, and coaches are supported within their, if you, within their workplace, if you want a better term. Um, that, uh, and often, as we know, that learning happens more in the workplace than it does on courses and um, in formal training is that it's the experience that you get the reflection and the and the reinforcement of the behaviors that you want so I I think a lot of that is around um, building your club culture and how you support the coaches within your club and and also engage with the parents
0: yeah just one of the um, we had Heather Gary presenting last night and she was looking at ways, and one of the key questions that came up was how how can we better challenge uh, the female players in club environments? Um, What opportunity is there within clubs to mix mix the teams, whether they're they're at the same age or or, uh, having the younger male players playing with the girls to take them to to another level? So is there opportunities within clubs to do that? And, And could there be more opportunities to challenge the female players at club
2: level. I I think that mixed age groups are great across the board, um, and just let people play where they want. Particularly, again, informally within the club environment. I would encourage that. At training sessions, as I said, I think we overcoach and underplay. I think there's a great opportunity for clubs to actually uh, mix genders, mix age groups, and and play on training nights maybe once a week and just play a game or play two games. Um, so I think that, that, that helps that mixed age group, um, uh, of informal play, I think is invaluable. Yeah, I, I, I
1: certainly concur with that Liz that, 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 the, um, we all say that the kids aren't playing enough street football or that informal. Um, and then, yes, that's true. So, so we might need to provide that environment when it comes down to our club. Um, and then, but I think sometimes we put some roadblocks into that and say, right, the under nines can't train with the under tens because, because they're nine and they're 10 and it's well, when they're in the playground at school, the, um, the year ones are mixing in with the year threes and the year fours. and And, and, and it's around sometimes we, we place too much emphasis on on the um, on on that side of it, and yes, of course, you need to consider safety when it comes to your players, but but um, you can certainly manage that and if you create the right environment it, it, it is going to be safe there to have um your under nines playing in with, with your under 11s and your and your under 13s in with your under 15s and then likewise on the flip side um that you that you get that cross-pollination with the girls going into the boys and um certainly seeing that here in new south wales with the future material playing games against the tsp players and they're um often involved with the tournaments and you and you can certainly um from experience from the ex-Matildas that I know, or even like the current players that have gone on to huge levels in the, for the national teams and uh, who have gone on to play for like the W league. I, I had Ella Mastrantonio um, when I was in West Australia, she would play in the under 18s boys with us. And and just that level of intensity was far, far greater. So for me, again, it comes down to do, do, do clubs have the best interest for their players? Um, and that might be that um, you might have a, um, at, a, at, a, at a club, a girls NPL program and a boys NPL program, you might have a fantastic girl uh, that that needs to be challenged more. Um, so you so you might actually play her in the under 14s boys for the year. Um, but then are the club willing to weaken their under 13s girls or under 15s girls so that they don't win the league because they've just lost the best player. So do we actually put the interests and the needs of the player first over the interests and the needs of the club?
2: Yeah, I think one of the other things I'd say it it can also be beneficial in reverse, again, in in, an informal setting, is when an older player goes down and again, taking into consideration the safety stuff, is that, it can take the pressure off and they can just go around and experiment with things that they want to experiment with that they want in a competitive environment. So I think, that, and, and that helps them understand what they can and can't do.
0: No, thanks guys. Um, if you want to just uh, bring home the summary, Chris. Yeah. So um, just to, summarise I think the approach is
1: is is, is that around. It's not a one size fits all to how you manage the behaviour of your players because ultimately you've got different players to me, and I've got different players to you. So it's around maybe arming yourself with as many tools in your toolbox um, so that so, so that you can manage your players. So uh, and, and then that comes down to your experience as a coach, and then also as you touched on there. Les and Glenn around the experience of maybe those TDs or CCCs that are supporting um, and mentoring coaches as well. Um, building your meaningful connection is key, uh, and that's been consistent throughout as to how you manage the behaviour. So, so, do you actually understand your players and you put time and effort and care into your players to, to understand one, their actual needs that they want? from from their football um but also some of their own behaviors and characteristics then it's around planning planning for being able to manage the behavior as well as just the x's and o's are you just looking at your training session and going this is the outcome that i need to get from the football actions or are you considering how might the players react to these certain elements Of the practice in your practice design are you ensuring that your practice can flow very quickly so that there aren't aren't uh, huge opportunities for the players to be off task for a considerable amount of time Um, everything's linked to the experience of the players if they're having a positive experience then um, the then you could send to uh, sorry you you might then see um, an improvement in the behavior. So the experience of the players is uh, extremely crucial. Um, And then just to go back to that photo of the mirror, did you do everything possible to manage the behavior of the players uh so if the players are misbehaving if they aren't on task if 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 they aren't performing in the ways that you want them to do have you actually got the mirror out first and reflected and evaluated on did i do everything possible in my control to stop that from happening did i design the practice so that it flowed so that it was at the right level and right intensity for the players did i build that connection and did i observe the players as to as to how they acted and they're acting slightly differently did i understand what baggage they were coming with because i've actually built a meaningful connection so um, for us as coaches do we reflect and do we deeply reflect uh, or do we have that critical friend to to help us to be able to reflect to understand that you um did everything possible to manage the behavior of your players um, firstly Thank you to Glenn um, and Sean and the and the and the whole team at FCA and the FFA and the working group for giving us the platform to come on tonight. Um, and uh secondly, really, really appreciate the time of Les um, for me to be on a on a panel with Les. Uh, it's a real um Career highlight for me so far, to be honest, because because, because he's been someone that I've I've uh, very much looked up to throughout my time in coach development here in Australia. To be able to share the floor with someone of his experience is a real honour for me. So thank you for
0: your time as well, Liz. Thanks very much, Chris, and Liz. Les. Liz, Les, uh, continue to enjoy your retirement up there at Smith Lakes, and hopefully you can get on the road soon and uh, do that all that tourist work that you want to do in the future.
2: Yeah. Fingers crossed.